The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, fraud, hilarity, and quite a bit of schadenfreude. Sunday, the 29th of May, 2022. The autumn series concludes with another special guest episode. The cryptocurrency and NFT worlds are imploding around us. So I figured it's time to talk once more with David Gerrard. He of the book and blog, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain. In this episode, we remind you why cryptocurrency was invented. Crypto's only use case is working around government regulation. We wonder why crypto billionaires are suffering so much right now. You might think that someone who was literally a billionaire would look at their rainy day investment and find out things about it, like how liquid is it? It turns out this is not the case, they didn't. And we, we try to be serious, but... Unfortunately, there is the simple, objective, uncontroversially true fact that all of this is funny as shit. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. This is the 9pm heartwarming schadenfreude of popping bubbles with David Gerrard. Well, here we go. It's been one of the most popular investments over the past few years, but crypto has finally crashed and it's crashed hard. More than $300 billion was wiped out just in the Yikes. last week. Mm-hmm. What has happened? What's gone wrong? Yeah, good morning, guys. It comes down to speculation and what happens when hot money runs cold. So mm-hmm. we know Bitcoin has a spectacular run. Over the last five or six years, it's really made a lot of money for a lot of people. The problem is when it's all about speculation, hot money going in, when that money turns around, when things get cold, when people lose confidence, they sell out. Tonight, a massive sell-off of cryptocurrency, erasing more than $200 billion from the entire market in a single day. Stories out of New York of people losing half million dollar fortunes, cars, homes, literally the whole lot because they punted on this stuff. One of the hardest hit coins, Luna, erasing 99% of its value, now worth nearly nothing. I lost $1.6 million on Luna and then I put in another 200k and I lost that as The numbers sending some investors spiraling, fearing they could lose it all. Crypto is a roller coaster, so you gotta buckle up and enjoy the ride. Problem with Bitcoin, there's nothing underpinning it. There is no government, there is no company, there is no rent. There's nothing to actually kind of prop up the value of cryptocurrencies. You're making it sound like a Ponzi scheme. Channel 9's Richard Wilkins ending that montage of reports from earlier this month, possibly saying the quiet bit out loud, but we'll get to that. David Gerrard, welcome. Back to the edict. Good morning or evening at your time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, you're on the other side of the planet. Now, David, you are on the pod just over a year ago. Uh, but dear listener, if you need a quick refresher on what cryptocurrency is all about, maybe pause this one and go back to that. But before we talk about this collapse, some background, David, what have been the key changes in the cryptocurrency markets in the last year? So we had another bubble um, or another peak in the current bubble. Like this is all one bubble, 2021 crypto bubble. Um, The big thing that has happened um, was the NFT promoters went absolutely batshit. Like this is not a public interest thing. There is no upswell of public interest in NFTs and selling, buying little late pictures or all that garbage. This is not a thing that's happening. It is literally entirely 
a bunch of venture capitalists promoting this stuff as absolutely hard as they can to try to fake a market. And thank God it didn't work, and the general public hate this garbage. I am, I'm, my heart is warmed that it turns out that normal people have found out about crypto and what it is and what it's for and what crypto people are like, and they're not having a bar of it. It's great. Uh, that is a very cheerful way of looking at it. But I realise it sounds like optimism, and you know, but well, who in their right mind, and I deliberately choose those words, would imagine that a digital picture of an ape, say, to pick one of the market leaders, that is differing in some minor way from another digital picture of an ape, and there's hundreds of the fuckers, if not thousands, why would that be worth $1,000 or $10,000? Or why would it be worth a dollar? So the answer is because the entire market is crypto speculators. That is the entire bit of the market that isn't fake. There's been a couple of studies on the NFT market which seem to show that uh, basically most NFTs are owned by a tiny percentage of the market and 90% of the trades seem to be those guys trading with themselves who may or may not be different people. Um, until a sucker comes in from outside with their actual dollars, buys the picture, and it never moves again because the market doesn't exist. To the extent the market exists, it's speculators. So it's basically get-rich-quick moon boys thinking this is their way to um, a world world where they can put their ape picture on the wall and no one can tell them that they're stupid and it sucks. In that opening montage, we actually heard from one of the guys in one of the coins, what, lose a million dollars, and so therefore he put another 200 grand in. Like, what? So, (laughs) to get a bit technical here, all of this stuff, like, you know that none of these numbers are real. Yeah, yeah, None of these numbers are actual dollars, were ever actual dollars, were anything you could ever realize. And the amount of actual dollars in the system is not known, but it's way smaller. And there are detailed signs it's way smaller. So we do not have, like Bitcoin did not lose $200 billion. It never had them. The trillion dollars didn't exist. It was a the number is basically a marketing lie to get headlines like that one. It works really Look, well, but it's still a lie, and you have to say it's a lie because it's a lie. I guess it's. Um, I mean, if I compare it to Monopoly money, which I can, it's remarkably similar. If I give you $1,000 of Monopoly money and you say that's worth $1,000 of Monopoly money and then we start trading things in Monopoly money like we – we print another thing, like a picture of an ape, and say it's worth $1,000 of Monopoly money. That's really what's going on, isn't it? Yeah. Like the big collapse that just happened, the UST stable coin, which is supposed to be stably worth $1 US, because everyone yeah. works in US dollars. Um, so this was – how do I put this? The thing about – I think the key innovation, like you've heard of DeFi, decentralized finance, and it's impossible to work out what this is for. Is it so that some crypto traders can just kill each other in a more efficient manner? It is that. But I think the key innovation is it lets you 
invent magic beans yesterday and assign them a completely unjustified dollar price tag, then you can say this is worth $100 million. That's it. Because UST was a magic bean that was priced in another magic bean that was priced in another magic bean that could plausibly be traded for dollars. And this long chain of shonky chain of leverage was used to justify its dollar value. This isn't very robust or secure, so it fell over in a stiff breeze. It took 18 billion alleged dollars with it, which never existed. And everyone went, oh, no, and they panicked and dumped. Can you actually, like, cash out any of these to actual money? Like, if I have Eventually. a billion a billion dollars worth of Ethereum or Bitcoin or wobble coin or whatever it is, will someone give me my billion dollars worth because it says it's worth a billion dollars? No. Millions, <laughs> you, thousands you can cash out of, bill, of Bitcoin or Ether. Millions with a bit of work. Billions, no. There were some the hilarious market, tales presumably. when the Ukraine war started and a whole bunch of Russian oligarchs got sanctioned. They were calling their Swiss bankers, this is a story in Reuters, saying, right, I need to dump $2 billion of Bitcoin right now. Multiple calls, no, none of them smaller than $2 billion. So it turns out actual dollars don't exist in the system. Like, <laughs> you might think that someone who was literally a billionaire would look at their rainy day investment and find out things about it, like how liquid is it? It turns out this is not the case. They didn't. Um, so this Reuters story talked about all the things they could possibly do, and then there was one line which said that none of the plans deals had actually gone through. They all tried to dump at the same time. None of them could. Like there was some of them were trying to dump it bitcoins directly into um, real estate in Dubai. Which, you know, fine, I'll call that cashing out at these levels, uh, sort of. But even those deals, it does, it's not clear that any of those went through. So, Well, yeah. if that deal did go through, you do actually get a physical object of value, right? Exactly. You get, a, you get something that has a-, a sort of bubbly price, but it's like real estate. You know, you can, it's something that people understand as an asset. You can let, borrow against it, stuff like that. You know, I'll call that cashing out for these purposes. But... Mm-hmm. It turns out that um, they couldn't because, you know, Bitcoin and Ether are the only two you can reliably trade for dollars. There are others you can trade to dollars, but they're not very deep. Um, and even then, like million, thousands is easy, millions is work, billions is not happening. And there's good evidence to this, by the way. I think that the crypto bubble basically was an Elon-driven phenomenon because, you know, (laughs) he does that stuff. Um, Since our last call, Elon has not got back to his actual job, which is talking up energy transition, which is very disappointing. So I guess... Uh, He did come up in in yesterday's podcast uh, with uh, Cosmic Rami. Um, We did play a clip... Uh, Elon Musk always comes up in these podcasts, but there's there's a clip there that uh, he is now being sued by Twitter shareholders in California because it's been revealed he was buying shares 
uh, past a certain threshold where he should have announced the fact, uh, and therefore the price was still low, and and these shareholders are having a bit of a whinge because, well, they they're claiming it's market manipulation. Now, my lawyers and I are of the opinion that Elon Musk would never inv- involve himself with market manipulation, and, and we want to say that repeatedly. That is our. I'm sure he just opinion. slipped up on the paperwork. Yeah, he's not a details man. Um, God no. So so yeah. We've also had in the last year we've had, I mean, things that affect the credibility of all this. Apart from the fact of all the dodginess that we spoke about last time and this time, things that affect the credibility. You know, other than the fact that it's clear, it's hilariously obviously trash. I mean, yes. But we've also seen more obvious crimes of fraud or, or of theft through hacking and so on. More examples of cops seizing the assets, the crypto assets of criminals, uh, criminals who clearly thought this stuff was untouchable, but um, the FBI is not of the same opinion and will quite happily seize these assets. All of this, is this a major part of it or is it just simply when that people went finally, no, this is just bullshit? So crypto's only use case is working around government regulation. That's it. That's its only use case. That was literally why Bitcoin was created to get around the statist jackboot on the throats of noble freedom-loving individuals, where freedom only and ever means freedom of my money, not your money, my money. Mm. So when Peter Thiel says things like, I believe democracy is incompatible with freedom. He means specifically his freedom and specifically the freedom of his money. If you understand that freedom means freedom of my money and doesn't mean any other form of freedom whatsoever, you understand crypto politics. So getting around governments (laughs) is fine. Governments are stupid, annoying. Nobody wants them in your face. You want to do your stuff. You don't want them telling you no. That is not unreasonable. But on the other hand, most regulations against things you shouldn't do are there because actually you probably shouldn't do them. Yeah. Um, overall, though, isn't all this relative? Now, Bitcoin prices now, it's still at a higher level than at any time before the start of 2021. I've got the chart in front of me. You've got the chart in front of you. It wiggles along. Admittedly, it's still, you know, thousands of dollars per Bitcoin, but it was really at the beginning of 2021, it surged up to that 60,000 figure and beyond. It's well, still it's up to that figure and beyond. Yeah. Um, but so what? I, I mean, it's, I was about to say, so what? This doesn't affect the early investors, does it? It only affects people who invested much later in this bubble on the bubble. Most and of them would have come in this in the last year, yeah. So actually, it's burnt all the new investors. So it's not technically a Ponzi. That was my no next question. Running a Ponzi. Um, however, it is true that early investors can only be paid with dollars from later investors. Every dollar a winner makes is a dollar a loser lost, and it's the earlier winners and the later losers. So it's not a Ponzi technically, because you know. You you say this Bitcoin say it's not technically a Ponzi, but um, it only it works like one. It works exactly like one, and every holder is motivated to promote the scheme 
because it's the only way they can cash out. Because people didn't lose their money when Bitcoin went down. They didn't lose their money when the price dropped from 60 to 30 or whatever. They lost their money when they bought the Bitcoins. That's when their money went flying off into the sunset, never to be seen again. They are then stuck with a hot potato that they, and the only thing they can do with it is look for another sucker. That's how the market works. Like every time there's a big crash, someone makes out like a bandit, you know. Um, in the case of Bitcoin, if it crashes, where is the store of value that someone will make out like a bandit on? I think it's when they sold the Bitcoins to the suckers in the first place. We will come back to the, the glorious story of, of these markets in just a moment. Uh, but for now, I want to go off on a bit of a tangent. Back in April, uh, one of our guests on The Edict was Greg Mueller, producer of the podcast documentary series Motherload about the early computer hacking scene in Melbourne and the origin story of a certain Julian Assange of WikiLeaks fame. And David, I was surprised, although I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised to hear your voice. How did you encounter Julian Assange? So this is part of the general phenomenon where I'm not quite famous enough to have a Wikipedia article, but I'm sort of tangential to about a thousand little bits. So everything <laughs> yeah. is my fault as usual. Um, back in 1995, the 1994 actually, the Church of Scientology decided they were going to start suing people for criticizing them on the internet. Mm. Now, you know what early internet people were like. Stubborn cunts is a word for it. They were trying to take away our sacred right to say fuck to perfect strangers. Uh. This could not be stood for. So the whole the whole um, of Usenet group alt.religion.scientology decided, well, bugger this. And um, they decided they were going to um, do everything they could to research these guys, expose them, and make trouble for them. Um, I was one of these guys um, when I was a student at VUT in Footscray and um, failing computer science for the uh, third, fourth, or fifth time, depending how you count it. Oh, okay. And um, academia and my, me did not work out well. I had to get an actual job. So oh. I made lots of trouble there. Then um, one of the deputy, deputy, deputy vice chancellors said, hey, we've had a bit of trouble here from Hayden Bunton's office. I think it was his name. Minister of Education in Victoria at the time under Kenneth. So... Um, he went, stop using school computers for this stuff. So I went, right. You understand, of course, that this means war. So <laughs> I, found, I, I was chatting to friends. And I heard about this website called Suburbia, which um, would do web hosting. And it was a free speech sort of site. So I emailed the admin, a guy called Julian, and said, hey, I want to do this site. It is absolutely certain this will involve a ton of trouble. These people are crazy assholes, but I want to do this thing. And he went, I, I, I distanced myself uh, from that comment, but I will say the Church of Scientology is notably litigious. 
Yes, I, I was of the personal opinion based on my interactions with them that they could be accurately described by the phrase crazy assholes, but I don't want anyone else who is not me to think that that would imply they were crazy assholes. Mm. So Julian emailed back saying something like, sounds like fun, let's give it a go. So for the next three or four years, I had this site. It was on suburbia.net. And I don't know Julian or anything. I've I don't know him well. We've got friends in common, um, but I've met him once. But basically, he stood by me unswervingly under what most people would consider fairly oppressive and fraught circumstances, you know. It's worth um, looking up some of the media reports uh, from that time because this was at a, a period where there was a community group out um, picketing outside Scientology headquarters in Sydney. Uh, you know, they, they were quite those guys. yeah rowdy demonstrations the whole bit. Uh, there were there were lawsuits flying all over. We were and, polite demonstrators, I'll have you know. Sorry. We were polite demonstrators. Like, the main thing was the fact of our presence, but we always tried to stay very nice about it, and that makes the nice policemen much happier because there isn't someone setting fire to stuff. There's, it's just polite demonstrators standing yes. there, not blocking the pavement with a few signs. Yes. Um, it, it was an interesting time. How much trouble did you eventually get into there? So they sent me lots and lots of legal threats by email, Mm. They eventually sent me one by an actual paper letter from an actual local lawyer. Mm. I was unemployed with no money at the time, so I went, I have no income or assets. <laughs> Lol. Um, so away. So I, but it also turned out that they had decided to do a leaflet slandering me and distributing yeah. leaflets about me, which I considered defamatory. So... Kimberly Heitman um, of Electronic Frontiers Australia, he said, I'll be your lawyer for this one, just pro bono. So all props to Kim. Um, He's a friend of the pod. And we wrote back an email, a letter, sorry, a letter on paper saying, um, yeah, um, we uh, disclaim that any of this is a defamatory or even a violation. So, by the way, we have a strong counterclaim for defamation on the following leaflet, which we've enclosed, which we know your guys have been distributing, and we'll definitely want damages on that. And I never heard from the Scientology lawyers ever again. I still owe Kim that point, you know. Uh, yeah, you, you should sort that out, mate. One final word about Mr. Assange, I should say, before we get back to the, the joys yep. of crypto. He's He's... Done a lot in the intervening years. He said that running that Scientology site and dealing with the crap that came with it made him think that WikiLeaks would be a workable idea. So that was partly my fault too. Basically, it only worked because we are both the sort of people whose reaction to any slight whatsoever is bring it on. Yep, that's pretty much it. And if you want to hear the rest, um, do dig out the podcast, Motherload. It's great. It is fantastic. Seven episodes right back through the whole hacking scene and essentially the final three episodes are tracing what we've just spoken about there all the way up to uh, where Mr Assange is now or nearly up to there, to the start of WikiLeaks as a huge global phenomenon.
I must say that the whole 1990s and into the early 2000s battle between very online people in Australia and the Church of Scientology is fascinating. If you just look up David Gerard Scientology or Julian Assange Scientology, you will find all sorts of material. I've linked to a few bits and pieces on the podcast website just to uh, to get you started. I've also linked, now uh, I have to explain this, during the election unhinging podcasts, you may remember someone uh, called, uh, oh sorry, Susan we're calling her, who expressed her, let's just say it, lust for Bob Catter, MP. Well, she has uh, sent through a link, which I have put on the website for you too, uh, called, uh, well, it's um, Ospol Halloween Costume Ideas, and it includes one called Sexy Bob Catter. I'll leave you to look that up for yourself. Now, this podcast is, of course, uh, made possible by you, the generous listener. This is the final episode for the Autumn Series 2022, uh, because autumn runs out in, in like two days' time, three days' time. So thank you once more for the final time to all the people who did contribute to the Autumn Series 2022 possible crowdfunding campaign. My God, that is a mouthful. I must think of a an easier way of saying that. Thank you so much to, to you all. Remember, if you bought a trigger word or more than one trigger word or a conversation topic, you can still use them for up to uh, a year. Please, please send them in, well, when you, you find it appropriate or we can, uh, of course, uh, I can just choose a random word on your behalf. That's always fun too. You know, you know how it works. You, you listen to the podcast. And uh, also thank you to all of those who uh, contributed to the Just Finished uh, Winter Series campaign. Um, the Winter Series will kick off in mid-June with our first special guest episode, although, quite frankly, I may sneak in a little solo whinge episode because some of the post-election unhinging really really is insane. It's quite, quite mad. If you would like to join those people and contribute to the uh, the upkeep of this podcast and the feeding and maintenance of, of me, Stilgarian, please go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip. That is the 9pmedic.com slash tip. Well, the market for non-fungible tokens has fallen along with the declines in crypto. NFT sales fell to 25,000 last week, an 80% drop from the peak last fall. Now, Morgan Stanley warning, more pain may be in store for investors of digital assets. I don't think numbers look good anywhere. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing with the S&P 500 down 14% over the past six months, NASDAQ down 30% over the past six months, um, interest rates up. What we're seeing in this market right now with NFTs is all these small projects, ones that don't have a very strong roadmap and I would say direction, just completely get obliterated. And we're seeing a consolidation into the really well-known big brand names like Board Ape Yacht Club, Doodles, etc. Now that Yahoo Finance story is from just over a week ago. 
we've sort of spoken about this already, that investors are just getting out of assets, which aren't actually assets. So what has actually stopped is the marketing push towards this stuff because it was all – and a lot of the fake trading on the market because the NFT market is full of fake trading, wash trading where someone buys something from themselves to push the price. They seem to have not bothered much lately and so all the fake market has disappeared in the real market doesn't really exist except for a few speculators who are sure that this is their way through. It's impossible to overstate how fake the whole NFT phenomenon is. Like all the celebrity promotion was because most of them were represented by one agency, CAA. And CAA own a chunk of OpenSea, the big NFT market. Madonna's manager, Guy O'Siri, has been promoting NFTs as well with Madonna. Turns out he owns a chunk of Yuga Labs, the company that does Bored Apes. And it's all a promotional push. There is no organic upswell. The public hate this garbage. Ubisoft, the video game company, tried doing NFTs in their games a few months ago. They sold $396 US worth of NFTs. Um, They forgot the market was fake. Coinbase tried starting the big crypto exchange, world's biggest crypto exchange, the one that ordinary people sign up for straight away. They tried doing an NFT market. It hasn't done over 200 trades a day since it started. Coinbase, of all people, did not understand the NFT market. (laughs) Well, you mentioned there... Uh, the, the kind of promotional aspect of it. Stephen Colbert this week uh, had a wonderful bit in his program intro. Now, reportedly, some celebrities have gotten big money to endorse NFTs. For instance, Bored Bunny NFTs endorsed by Floyd Mayweather. And there's no better source of long-term financial advice than from a man who made his money getting punched in the head. <laughs> and while we're here, why Bored Bunny, do all NFT animals have to be bored? Why can't we be ripped off by something with a little more zazz, like mildly interested marmot or emo emu? <laughs> now, when, when uh, the champ, Mayweather, first endorsed bored bunnies, each NFT cost about $1,500. Now a bored bunny will fetch you $104.09. That's painful, but not nearly as painful as having to tell your kids You won't be attending college because daddy bought a picture of a rabbit with a machine gun and a pacifier. (laughs) And I can see why people got duped. If you go to the Bored Bunny website, you'll see their promise. Together, let's build the best exclusive club never seen before. Show to the world how strong and influent we are. (laughs) And if you fell for that, I'm guessing you were under the influent. (laughs) Now it's a red flag. There's not a false fact anywhere there, is there? Floyd Mayweather, of course it's Floyd Mayweather. That man has (laughs) never seen a crypto scam he didn't want to get in on. He got fined by the SEC at least once for his um, unflagged celebrity promotions. There's Ah. actually US laws. The FTC says that you are not allowed to promote something as a celebrity that you have an interest in without it being clear that it's a promotion. Yeah. If you appear in an ad, obviously that's a promotion. But if you say, say, hey, fans, why don't you buy this great brand of makeup? Why don't you buy this wonderful car? Why don't you buy this crypto shitcoin? 
you're supposed to flag if you've been paid to do this. And if you don't, they fine you. If they get around there, to it. That same rule has been hitting influencers uh, in Australia yes. as well. There's similar sorts of rules. You do actually have to disclose uh, whether you're paid for a promotion. Yep. Like, so. I've got Amazon links on my blog and every single page has little notice at the bottom, that sort of thing. Yep. yep. I don't – marketing's fine. You know, it's, it's part of the celebrity business. But one, you have to say so. Two, you shouldn't promote poisonous trash. Now, normally, I do a little break before going on to talk about trigger words. Uh, trigger words, as regular listeners know, um, uh, are words that uh, have been bought by supporters of the pod, uh, and often we draw them from the glass jar of transparency, uh, and we see where the conversation goes. Now, we will do one randomly in a minute, because, you know, what the hell, but one has been sent in specifically for you, David. It's from Joop DeVitt. And it is Schadenfreude, that wonderful German concept of taking <sighs> pleasure in the misery of others. Well, this whole podcast is about it, really. In an ideal world, you shouldn't take joy at the misfortune of others. On the other hand, when the others are massive dicks, it's hard to resist sometimes. When literally the same people a month ago were saying, have fun staying poor, are now saying, you shouldn't take joy in the misfortune of others, I'm going to snicker just a bit. Because unfortunately, there is the simple, objective, uncontroversially true fact that all of this is funny as shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I will say that Elon Musk, I've said, I'm saying Elon Musk again. Elon Musk did... did say the other day, and I'll put a link to the tweet, but he's basically complaining that people are using the, the word billionaire as a pejorative. And I think, well, stop being an arsehole. And oligarch, like, would that do better? Oligarch does well. You can, um, I mean, you can get a browser plug-in that'll change any word on a web page into any other word, but Slicey someone has just put fodder. one. Yeah, someone's put one out there uh, that changes all of the... the billionaires to oligarchs and he says reading american news makes a lot more sense and australian news for that matter yes very much so you know making money i'm quite sanguine about someone starting a business and making money you know have fun but some people get a bit weird about it you're right i i have no problem with someone running a business that does things and makes money for them good on them um but it's just this making pretend money out of thin air and then ripping off other people. That's what gets up my nose. It's a bit of a problem. Yeah. Well, let's, let's do – this might be a complete change of subject or not. I'm watching on video as still actually pulls the slip out of, a, out of an actual plastic jar. It's great. It's a glass jar. This is the glass, glass jar. jar of transparency. It's an old Makona jar. What kind of coffee job? Um, oh, here's an interesting one from Alex Thompson. This will certainly change the topic. Garlic. Garlic? Garlic. You know, the like like an onion. It's in the onion family. Yes, I know what garlic is. You use I'm, it for I'm flavoring food. Okay. Yes. Like, it doesn't go down well with my English wife who 
does not oh. like garlic in anything like the quantities I do. But, you know, I'm from Australia where we had the good sense to import food that wasn't English. So, Well, yeah, quite a lot of other things. Her well, Majesty cameras- the Queen does not like garlic either, and garlic is forbidden in Buckingham Palace. An unusually long-lived monarch who lives in a castle and has an aversion to garlic. I'm sure there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> if you are a huge fan of garlic, can I recommend, if you're ever in San Francisco, up on, up on the hill above Chinatown, and I forget the name of the exact suburb, but you'll soon find it, is a restaurant called The Stinking Rose, which is a specialist garlic restaurant everything except the desserts made with garlic except the desserts that sounds like quitter talk yeah i know i know i i I don't know that garlic with desserts works well but like they have a chicken breast stuffed with garlic and i mean like it has about 30 cloves of garlic stuffed inside it before it's baked sounds like good stuff with a garlic sauce it is just fantastic. I've got a new one on the list then. Oh, yeah, if we, if we, well, we can travel again now. I shouldn't say if we can ever travel again. Um, we seem to be doing that. We're all dying. Anyway, I, I am also a fan of the old garlic um, and uh, we'll use it in all manner of things. I'm trying to think of a recipe for it. Um Look, Alex, I, I, I will add some thoughts at the end of the podcast about garlic because there's something in the back of my head I think I want to say, but it's not coming to me just at the moment. So I'll come back to you, Alex. Finally, here's a part of a report from CNBC from the World Economic Forum in Davos the other day. How do you think about the world of crypto? By the way, the, I don't know if we can get the, the camera's not going to see it. The, the blockchain house is here. Right. Every crypto, every crypto person is in town here in Davos. Right. And we've watched it obviously tank. It's, it's not clearly a hedge on inflation, at least thus far. Right. But do you see that as the tail? Do you see that as the dog? What's, what's going on there? I think it's, it's more of a, a symptom. It, it's telling you, it's like the canary in the coal mine, right? We're seeing crypto collapse the way it is. I think it's got more downside to more it. More downside. More downside. How much more? Well, you know, um, when I look at uh, Bitcoin, which the technicals have been better than anything else, when you we break, you know, below 30,000 consistently, 8,000 is the ultimate bottom. So I think we've got a lot more room to the downside, under, especially with the Fed being restrictive. And let's face it, most of these currencies are... They're not currencies, right? They're junk, right? I mean, the majority of crypto is garbage. So they're going to be survivors, but, you know, and crypto is the future. I mean, there's there's hundreds of cryptocurrencies. 19,000. But do you think that... Bitcoin is junk? Do you think that no, ETH is junk? Do you think uh, Solana well, is junk? What, how do you... I think Ethereum, um, I think um, uh, Bitcoin will be survivors. But and survivors at one day at 100,000, 200,000, 500,000 in the sort of Kathy Woods world uh, or something else? Yeah, it could be, but I don't, think we're, I don't think we've seen the dominant player in crypto yet. Right? This is like the internet bubble, right? If we were sitting here in the internet bubble, we would be talking about how Yahoo 
and America Online were the great winners and, you know, everything else. We couldn't tell you if Amazon or Pets.com was going to be the winner, right? But, you know, of course, Yahoo, I mean, Google, we didn't have Google yet. Right. You know, America Online, the dial-up service died. So, you know, we don't know these I don't think we have had the right prototype yet for crypto. There's a lot to talk about there, but but the first thing I want to point out is that guy talking there has the best name ever for a crypto analyst. It's Scott Minerd, like mine nerd for mining cryptocurrency. Uh, He's chief investment officer at Guggenheim Partners. So here's the thing... My, my, the mine nerd. Oh, dear. Anyway, he reckons Bitcoin will go down to 8,000. I, f- I also saw a report the other day from JP Morgan, which is, of course, one of the biggest investment banks on Wall Street. They reckon the fair value target price of Bitcoin should be $38,000. Um, and they think Bitcoin will recover stronger because, well, as uh, the mine nerd said, it's all garbage, and yet he also said it's the future. So, who's right? Well, the future is garbage. The future is garbage. <laughs> so, the trouble with all this stuff is that it's bullshit in the formal sense of the term. It's neither lies nor truth. It's basically throwing up mental chaff. Because the big lie that's going on there is that Bitcoin is a market that it's a well-behaved market you can make detailed prognostications about. And that's not at all true. That's actually completely false because people have forgotten what unregulated markets look like. Like we've had maybe nearly a century of well-behaved stock markets where we have regulators and rules and basic rules like you're not allowed to lie in your prospectus. They had to make that a rule. You know, um, and people have forgotten what it was like when it was unregulated, when you had hilarious tales of daring do amongst slick operators in the stock markets who scammed absolutely everybody and crashed the entire economy and caused the Great Depression. And that's why we have regulation now. Bitcoin market is completely unregulated. There's a few regulated entities in um, proper countries, but the vast majority of the market is a few offshore casinos, um, which literally have no regulation whatsoever. Like, they might obey sanctions laws, but they only do those dragging their feet as well. It's literally unregulated. Half the time you're trading against the exchanges themselves. Um, it's, It's manipulated all the time by everyone. The market itself is tiny. Um, I don't know if you have commodities traders listening, but if you look at a small commodity like a rare metal or something where there's a few producers, few consumers, and the regulators basically absent, you're going to see some very Bitcoin-like price graphs. And it only gets headlines because it's sort of techie buzz, and they throw around made-up numbers in the 500 Mm. billions because that attracts headline attention. But... The specific species of bullshit here is the claim that this is a market that you can make sense of. That whole aspect of not making sense of it being unregulated, that's a feature, not a bug. That's their actual selling point. Totally. There is not the invisible hand of the market 
It is the visible thumb on the scale of the market. <laughs> so I love an Adam Smith reference in the morning. It is absolutely made of nonsense, and they talk about it like, ooh, maybe Bitcoin is influenced by the Fed announcement or whatever. That's bollocks. There's actually a study to this effect showing the price of Bitcoin and Ether neither was affected by regulatory announcements because internal manipulations absolutely overshadow external influences. The Bitcoin price is whatever the Bitcoin price manipulators, the large whales, exchanges, miners, who are all the same people, can get away with. Crypto is correctly viewed as a single unified casino. They are the house and they take their percentage. So what do you think happens next? Or does any of this even matter except for more schadenfreude uh, at these idiots? I think we're at the middle of the end of this bubble. Like Bitcoin will exist for yeah. decades, you know. All you need's the blockchain, the software, and two or more nerds, you know. Um, how much it trades back and forth for actual money, that's another question. So saying Bitcoin will survive, that's saying extremely little. The matter is how it interacts with the real world. Um, I, ex I fully expect in another four or five years there'll be another bubble because it can't do anything else but bubble and suckers are eternal. <laughs> There's always someone who thinks they want to get rich for free and they are these people actively look for schemes, you know, and they'll happen upon Bitcoin again. You have another book coming out looking at this bubble, I believe. I have two books that are supposedly in the air. Yeah. Um, I'm writing one with Amy Castor, another crypto journalist, about NFTs. We hate it because we hate the whole subject and want it to die in a fire, but we're slogging away because sometimes you just got to keep going. And I'm talking to an actual agent from the actual world of publishing about a book on El Salvador and Bitcoin. Like, I'm two months late getting my um, sort of draft pitch in with sample chapters and stuff. Because, you know, that happens. You get late on stuff. There's a big thing in writing, never work on more mm -hmm. than one book at a time. So, of course, mm -hmm. I violated it. Um, yeah. So, we'll see how that goes. We're plugging away at the NFT book, though. We're, like, meeting twice a week, that sort of thing. It's it's amazing. Um, I think we need more dumb crook stories because those are always fun and it's full well, of well, I think you'll be fine. Yes, dumb crook stories are completely fun. Looking forward to them, David. Gerard, thanks so much for uh, spending some time here. It has been a pleasure as always and we'll see how it is next year. We certainly shall. A few things to wrap up before we, uh, uh, before we wrap up. No, this is the wrap-up. Does that make sense? Um, El Salvador, uh, David mentioned he's doing a book on El Salvador and Bitcoin. Uh, the dictator of El Salvador went all in on Bitcoin and it's become a whole thing. I've linked to an article uh, published this weekend uh, about that. Also, 60 Minutes Australia, the Channel 9 Sunday night current affairs program. If you're quick, you've got a couple of hours until it'll be, it'll be on. David was interviewed by 
a current not a current affair 60 minutes about uh, the crypto crash uh, they haven't put it in the promo so it may not air tonight the 29th of may uh, but it's it's uh, ready to go so watch out for that on 60 minutes australia and Alex, was it, uh, who mentioned garlic? Yes, I, I have linked to the Stinking Rose restaurant. Huh. Um, that's that's quite fabulous because they uh, their slogan is we season our garlic with food, which is kind of nice. Um, I also wanted to have a bit of a, a whinge about the variety of garlic on offer in Australia. Most of the supermarkets seem to have in any good condition, these these uh, little imported bulbs of garlic, which I don't I don't quite like as much because they're they're, a, they're just a bit fiddly. You've got to faff around peeling them and so on. Um, I prefer the the big chunky kinds of, of garlic, but but with the the La Nina seasons um, in Australia, the quality is just not as good. I've discovered. I don't know whether you found the same where you are. But I also remembered a story many years ago when I was a student uh, in Adelaide um, and uh, we were in a student share house, I think it was in Unley, and it had a huge but completely overgrown backyard. Um, So we decided to have a gardening party, not a garden party, a gardening party, bring your own tools uh, and bring your own booze and uh, a couple of people brought some power tools and we spent one sunny afternoon totally cleaning it up Um, and under all of this overgrown stuff we we found a fig tree like there was a fig tree buried in there oh I must I I must find my recipe for, for fig curry a sweet fig curry as a dessert dish Trust me on this. Um, but also, wild garlic. There was a big patch of wild garlic. Now, obviously, it was in a garden, so it's not technically not wild. But it's a kind of garlic which has much bigger cloves in the, in, in the bulb. So instead of having, I don't know, 16 or 20 cloves or whatever it, whatever it is, you just have like three or five cloves in it. and I pause because I suddenly remembered it's probably a Fibonacci number isn't it I bet I bet the number of cloves in a bulb of garlic is always a Fibonacci number there you go there's some science for you prove me right or prove me wrong garlic yum garlic <laughs> That's the edict for now, and that's the end of the Autumn Series 2022. If you'd like to support the podcast, please go to the 9pmedict.com slash tip. You can go there for all the links, the credits, all those lovely things. The next episode uh, is likely to be in mid-June. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.